guys. Welcome back to the One Broke Actress Podcast. Sam Valentine, your host here, and I gotta tell you, starting off episode seven with a bang, we got new reviews. Thank you, Sam Hinch, Grace Cotter, and Christian Anade. Anad? Anade? Mmm. She's not great with that. Thank you guys so much for reviewing the podcast, for taking the moment to do it. I thoroughly appreciate it so much in my soul. If you're listening to this and like, oh, that's sweet. I should do that sometime. You should do it now. Just a suggestion. Like, maybe do it now. Something to think about today. Okay, before we get to our guest, I have to let you guys know that we're trying out a new podcast platform. That's right. Not only are we now on Spotify and Google Podcasts and I don't know, there's like 17 other platforms I wasn't aware of, but uh, I am now doing this podcast through Anchor, which is really exciting, uh, which also means that we are going to start having some sponsors. What? Yeah, that's something that we can do now. So uh, bear with me as I figure out how to do sponsored content without being an asshole. I will make sure it's nothing gross or money steely or any of that. Trust me on that one. I promise I'll take care of you guys. But of course, we always have our number one official sponsor of We Audition. Weaudition.com, code BROKE25 for a $7.50 membership. Okay, this is just your hot tip, and I really shouldn't say anything yet because nothing is finalized, but we are going to be doing something special. Let me try that again. We are going to be doing something special in April when the podcast is over. I can't wait to tell you, but let me just tell you that once we do it, We Audition is going to be real helpful. Hint. Motherfucking hint. Listen up, guys. Join We Audition. Use code BROKE25 for a $7.50 membership, and stay tuned for what we have planned next. Okay, I think that was enough of a teaser for now. Today's podcast, I should also tell you guys, was the first podcast I recorded this entire recording season. It was a few months ago and I've been saving it because it was one of my favorite interviews I've done to date. Sean Sharma is an incredible actor. He's a session director. He's extremely actively involved in SAG. He has been one of the most motivating people I've met yet about our union specifically. Today he's really going to talk to us about his crazy journey uh, from going to a sushi dinner in the Midwest and working for a mouth guard company that led him to LA with a full network in place and led to him being a session director. He's going to tell us what he learned as a session director and as a teacher and how he now co-chairs the SAG Conservatory. And he's really going to give us some tips on being in the waiting room, being in the room, how to treat your session director versus your casting director versus production. And knowing the difference between all of those is very important. He also really goes commercially specific for that. We really get into his work with the union and what the union really is, how it is made up of all of us. Um, he was the first person to introduce me to the politics of the union, which is how I found out about him in the first place. And I knew that I had to have him on the podcast. We also talk about FICOR, if you guys have ever been curious. Um, we do go into that pretty deeply and also attached in the show notes are all of his articles he's written for backstage, including one about FICOR. Uh, we talk about staff. We talk about ads go union commercials. He talks about volunteering in the union. I mean, he got me on a union committee. Like, that's how motivated I was after this podcast. So let me not hold you in suspense too much longer. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, please enjoy Sean Sharma. Excited to be here. Hello. You're the first recorded guest this season. (laughs) 
Welcome. I don't know how I ended up with that honor, but I'm happy for it. Uh, you're very good at filling out paperwork on time and clicking buttons. That's what you get. I'm on my computer pretty much 23 <laughs> hours a day. The first question I like to ask people is kind of about their journey to L.A., but I've, I've read up a bit on yours. So if you kind of want to give people a little background of how you came to be working in all of the facets that you're working in these <laughs> days, and then we'll get to those individually. <laughs> well, thank you. I, uh, I won't bore you with the whole long thing, but I was uh, an actor in high school, did nine plays in high school. Um, in Minneapolis, there isn't a lot of film and television work. So afterwards, I uh, pursued being a rock star in Minnesota for a dozen years, uh, 10 years. So you graduated from school. Yeah, I graduated from high school. I, just, I knew in eighth grade that college wasn't for me, and so I didn't go. I just went right into working and supporting myself, being a singer-songwriter in Minnesota, and I started a music booking company where we played shows all over the, you know, the Twin Cities and then also down to Des Moines and over to Madison and up to Duluth. Mm-hmm. I had about 150 artists on my roster, on my, um, my music roster, and so it was called The Acoustic Showcase, and we booked like five of us at a time playing a three-hour show, and... It was it was really uh, one of the most successful acoustic nights of music that Minneapolis had ever seen, and I wasn't the kind of guy to want to go to a club and say, "Hey, will you book me?" I went to a club and said, "Hey, I can fill this place with a bunch of incredible talent and bring a huge crowd," and so they're like, "All right, well, let's try you out," and it ended up working out. And I acted on the side in commercial projects and industrials and things like that, and print jobs and all that. Um, Is and- there a lot of work up there? Well, you know, not of it was a, a a lot of non-union like regional commercials and and industrials and print shops and things like that. So, I did all of that. Um, I had kind of a rough start. I started um, by looking in the paper because back then you had to look in the classifieds of the Star Tribune, section five fifty <laughs> performing arts and auditions, and I found an ad for John Casablancas, and I proceeded to enroll and work two jobs instead of spending the summer with my friends and loved ones before they went off to college for the first year and made those sacrifices all to be scammed by this company and go out to New York and uh, spend all this money for crap photos and crap classes. and, and like we one of all, those modeling. Yeah, you know, like John Robert Powers, oh, yeah. Barbizon, all that, Karen yeah, International. So there's all these, you know, quote-unquote modeling and career schools that just take thousands of dollars from unsuspecting parents and their children um, selling themselves on their dreams and whatever. And I got taken, and when we got back, like just about everybody who went on that trip was furious about how we'd been treated. They basically took us to all the open call days we could have gone to on our own and uh, locked us in the hotel. We couldn't go anywhere. It was weird. And so when we got back, I I didn't let it discourage me. I kept looking for information. I kept contacting the other agencies that were the legit agencies. Mm -hmm. And I got some great headshots and... um, got wrapped by a few of the top agencies in Minneapolis and started working. And then after a few years of that, I ended up being invited to be in a fashion show by this random dude um, named Gene Nichols, who had this thing called the Models Resource Center, which was basically, he's like a factory worker who on his weekends, like shot amateur photography of models and put on a fashion show every year. And he was so awkward and weird that we didn't know what his deal was, but he was always a sweetheart. There was never any kind of weirdness or anything like that. So like First Avenue is one of the top nightclubs in Minnesota. It's where Prince shot his Purple Rain music video. So that's what most people know Uh um, from First Ave. But it's like one of the top concert venues that you'll go to when you go to Minneapolis. And uh, that's where he produced his fashion show. So I did my first fashion show there on my own in 2003 with the mission to spread awareness of how to avoid these modeling and acting scams. And we did it every year for four years. It was called the Fresh Face Showcase. I saw this. And... um, 
you know, we'd have a hundred models and, and, uh, live dancers and DJs and visual arts. And, um, we invited the whole community. We'd have thousand to 1500 people in attendance. It was free for everybody to participate. Um, we brought in the top agents and casting directors to come in and teach them over two and a half weekends. Wow. And we ended up getting John Casablanca's kicked out of the state of Minnesota. After four years of it, we got a full page, front page article in the Star Tribune that exposed what they were doing. And they lost their license, thanks to the Better Business Bureau looking into what they'd been doing. Um, that had to have felt pretty great. Yeah. You know, we had articles in pretty much every publication, uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul magazine and the Pioneer Press and everything. And so, you know, and I wasn't like a scenester. I wasn't in, I wasn't going out in the clubs and going to a lot of other fashion shows. I was kind of like this musician recluse who'd come out of the woodwork for a weekend and produce this huge show and then go back to my life. <laughs> and it was... Is this while you were working in the music business as well? So you were yeah, doing and delivering pizzas. And, you know, I worked for the Papa John's Domino's and Pizza Hut on Grand <laughs> Avenue in St. Paul for two years and, you know, delivering to all the colleges like St. Thomas and McAllister and et cetera, Hamlin. So, like, it was just part of my life to want to try to protect people from getting taken advantage of, which is what happened to me. And I was so upset about that. But I also saw the value, both from the acoustic showcase and the fresh face showcase, of working together to solve problems and to support one another. So it kind of it planted the seeds in who I was that led to kind of how I operate even to this day, all this time later, of just feeling like you can't really accomplish anything meaningful all by yourself. Wow. Yeah. That's okay. So you have all of this going on there. Mm -hmm. Why did you decide to make the move to Los Angeles? So I had like every odd end job, but you know, I had something like 47 jobs since I was 15 years old. But oh then God. when I, uh, I was at a modeling job with a buddy of mine who had actually gone to New York with on that scam trip, cause he and I stayed friends after, uh, afterwards. And, and he's like, yeah, I'm a sushi chef at this place called Fuji on Uptown. You should come. I'm like, sushi, gross. I'd never had sushi before. Now it's my favorite food. <laughs> <laughs> but like, so I took a couple of my best friends and we went to this sushi place called Fujio, which is still my favorite place to go when I go home. And uh, he was our sushi chef, and he made us this amazing spread. And we ended up being seated next to this couple. By the end of the meal, we had become like best friends with this couple, and they paid for our $300 meal on their way out without telling us. That guy was to become my boss for seven years of a company called Bite Tech, like mm -hmm. Bite. They made performance-enhancing oral appliances or mouth guards for athletes and things like that. Yeah. And from working with him, my network just exploded. But in 2006, there was the NHL lockout where the NHL season was interrupted by the players going on strike. I'm from St. Louis. Okay. So, <laughs> and our whole product was going to be launched with a lot of our NHL investor athletes and stuff. So we basically ran out of money. One of our investors got divorced and took off in his private jet and disappeared. And he was a third of our financing. And the, the whole thing was a big mess. So we all had to find something else to do for a while. So I'm like, you know what? Uh, I had gone to LA as part of a business trip in 2004 and somebody had planted in my seat, the seed in my mind then that, hey, you should come to L.A. I think you'd do well here. But I'd never really thought of it. Like, I'd never really thought of leaving Minneapolis. Well, it sounds like you had a lot of things going yeah, in your favor. Yeah, I was doing a lot were. of, it was like my, my town. I had so many great things growing. But it's something about the idea of moving to Los Angeles and pursuing acting in a more serious way just really appealed to me at that particular moment. So I just decided I would give it a shot. And so saved up for a year and moved out to Los Angeles in the summer of 2007 and kind of left the music part of myself 
um, to be like a private thing. Mm -hmm. And my way of expressing myself became acting first and foremost. Can I ask how old you were when you moved here? Yeah, 27. Cool. Yeah, which is older than many people when they come out here. No, I like Um, it, though. But I had acted, you know, for 10 years in Minnesota, and I thought that that counted for something. Okay, so this is my next question. (laughs) And it did not. (laughs) And you have all this background, and you had made a network in your hometown, and you'd done so much work there, and you've actually made a difference for people there, and you come to L.A. How did you feel when you first were introduced to this particular market? Well, I, growing up in Minnesota, you know, had a very um, warped view of Los Angeles. I think a lot of us do, Mm -hmm. because what do you know about it other than that? It's like a vain city where everybody's dog eat dog and it's all about who you know. And, you know, it's a huge city and there's lots of crime and gang violence and things like that. So one of the first things I did when I came out here was like buy a gun for like home protection because I lived right on the beach in Venice. And I'd never been like a gun person. But I was like, I don't want to like, I heard stories like if you pull off the wrong exit on the 405, you'd get murdered by gangs. And so, so I had, I was terrified of. I feel like that feels know? like 1989 yeah, type of stuff. Yeah, totally. Well, I'm an 80s kid. So like that okay. makes sense. And well, so. This is really funny because you might be the only person who moved to California and got a gun. Yeah. I was just like. <laughs> From the Midwest. Living right on Rose Avenue and Speedway, like mm-hmm. right on the mm-hmm. beach. Like we had, uh, you know, I moved out with my girlfriend. And, you know, we lived right along the alleyway and there were so many like homeless people, like, like literally when you're sleeping, like two feet away from your head on the other side of the wall. And, and so, I don't know, I was just terrified of being in this city. And so, you know, I tried to figure out how we could protect ourselves. Um, But I learned very quickly that um, within six months I had gotten a full team. I had gotten a job in casting because one of the investors in Byte Tech is actually Joe Blake, who's the casting director on the west side at Ocean Park uh-huh. Casting. And he, he was a mutual friend through that company. And so, because he actually went to McAllister College with, you know, Peter Berg and um, Mark Herman, guys that I know. And so uh, they introduced us and I ended, I ended up meeting with, with Joe and he was like, do you have an agent? And I was like, yeah. He's like, do you want to run sessions for me? I'm like, what's that? And two weeks later, I was running sessions full time for him. And that's how I became a casting session director. Wow. So that was the fall of 2007 that that happened. That <laughs> so wild it's a weird you know broken road it's that song uh god bless the broken road by the rascal, rascal flats. flats like that uh-huh. is so my jam like yeah yeah you know like others who broke my heart they were like northern stars guiding me on my way into your loving arms it's like every single door that closed another door opened that led me in a direction i could never have anticipated so through an oral appliance technology company i ended up coming out to la and getting a job in casting that very few people get and that's Part of st- the strategic decision why I worked for that company, because I saw the network and I'm like, if I really distinguish myself within this network, it can have good impacts on my own like future. It sounds like you were really patient too. Like you didn't rush any of these things. Making the that work you did at home was because you actually wanted to do the work and then the network came along with Yeah. That. I mean, I think, you know, Try. It's not in my nature to not do the best job that I can with anything that I'm a part of. And even when I was working at Papa John's, I remember my boss at Papa John's being like, "You're too good to do this." I'm like, "Am I?" Because <laughs> 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 I would like really be efficient about how I stocked my car and how I folded the freaking pizza boxes uh-huh. and everything. Like I was a very productive pizza delivery guy. But they were sad to see you go. <laughs> they were sad to see me go. <laughs> so how did you get your first agent then before this happened? 
Well, when I moved here, you know, since I had worked in Minnesota and I was already, I had done three national union commercials in Minneapolis over the 10 years, amazing. which so isn't enough you to sustain yourself. No, I mean, I, 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 I ended up booking them. Um, but I waited to join until I got to Los Angeles because there's just very little, you know, union work there. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't know much about it other than that, you know, you had to join the union if you wanted to work in professional film and television. So since I was eligible and, you know, if I wanted to keep doing non-union work, I could have stayed in Minnesota. I was booking one to two things a month and working a lot in Minnesota. That's fantastic. Yeah, it was fun. I did like a hundred projects or something, you know, while I was there. And then you know, when I moved out here, I'm like, well, I moved here to do the top work. So I don't really care about non-union. So I plucked down my credit card and joined the union the first thing I got here. I went to the summer intensive, but that's put on by the SAG after Los Angeles Conservatory mm-hmm. um, uh, in 2007, of now which I'm the co-chair of the conservatory. So it's weird how a dozen years I'm in charge and you know it's like crazy. Uh, but that's where I went and that's when I met my first acting teacher and got exposed to a lot of stuff. And that summer I sent out 250 packages to 125 managers and a tw- 125 agents that I found in the Samuel French like directory. Oh, RIP. Right? Right down the street. Totally, yeah. Yeah, they, they stocked my commercial acting books. I was sad to see them go. They were my only like bookseller. No, that was your brick and mortar. <laughs> that was my one brick and mortar. Uh, but they were lovely, you know, but I, you know, I did everything right. I got the, the windowed envelopes so you can see your headshot without having to open up the package. Yeah, I put the my old school in, packet. Yeah. And I, I put my headshot and resume in there and I cover letter and I didn't seal those manila envelopes. I just ta- you know folded the tab in so they didn't have to like cut them open or anything. Like I was so on it and I got a dozen meetings within 60 days of being here and I had a full team within 90 days of being here and wow. um, signed with uh, an agency called O'Neill Talent Group commercially and then with a management company called Act Now Talent Group, which was the management part of Act Now, which is one of the casting director workshop facilities uh, mm-hmm. in the Valley. And they had a management side. So started with them. And then two weeks after working with Sheila over at O'Neill Talent Group, she's like, we'd love to have you theatrically. And so they had me across the board for that. Wow. And that was my first team. Wow. Yeah. You were quick. You were quickly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I did everything right. I mean, I had a freaking input everybody's like name and address into an Excel spreadsheet, did a mail merge for the like the cover letters. And like, I just was really all over it. It cost me like a thousand bucks to do that. Whole it's thing. expensive. I got the last time I did hard copies just seven years ago. I remember I put my reel on a DVD and I was like, there, that's all of my money. <laughs> I had to put my face on the DVD. It was like a nightmare. It was probably terrible, but yeah. I, I sent it. Uh, so when you started then running casting sessions, you already have a full team. Did you learn a lot really quickly then running those sessions that I mean, you were and weren't doing that you see with actors? It's hard to uh, overstate how much working in casting has been um, a game changer for me. Um, it's not a job that many people get a chance to do or have the aptitude for because you have to be really proficient with the technology, but you also have to be really efficient and professional. Uh, and then you also have to be good at communicating with actors on what people need in a very short period of time. Um, and oftentimes, you know, you won't even get like a full lunch break. Sometimes you're lucky to even get a lunch break. And so you have to be at it. Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. (laughs) You know, you're there from 10 to, and then, and then back in those days, and it's weird that I can say back in those days, but I can. You know, we would sometimes be there till one, two in the morning, burning DVDs after a callback or doing a really long edit for a callback with clients and things like that. Like, it can still be late nights, but generally not that late because you don't have to sit around and burn a DVD anymore. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, the, I learned so much from working with the top casting directors. I've worked with over 45 of the top casting directors, 400 plus campaigns um, over the years. And, um, you know, a campaign can be multiple spots and each of those spots can take days to cast. Like it's, it's been a really eye-opening experience. And what I tell people is that the advice that I give actors is what I've encountered is like the consensus view because some session directors work with like one office only and they primarily run sessions just for that casting director. So they can't really speak to what the preferences are around the city of other casting directors. Whereas I've had a chance to work with so many that I get to see kind of what they have in common and what they don't. And so, uh, gosh, I've learned so much about so many different aspects of it, not least of which is how actors behave in the room under pressure and how they interact with other performers in the waiting rooms and how they re relate to clients and how clients relate to them and what the clients say about them. And God, we could talk forever about that stuff. But yeah, it was, it's, and it's made it so in, in another way, it's made it so that everywhere I go to audition myself commercially, they're all friends. All the session directors of guys that I know or women that I know, in fact, you know, like I've trained a few of them to get into this business. So wow. imagine going into every commercial audition with a, a, a pal behind the camera. I like, that's a dream. It makes it everything like just going home, you know? That's so nice. How, how do you feel like, is there a way that you can translate that feeling then into a room that you could give actors, you know, a little tidbit of to, if, to go into the room themselves? Like, you know, obviously we go into the room with strangers yeah. all 90% of the time, mm -hmm. right? So is there a way you can channel that feeling now when you go into a room and it's you've, you're so accustomed to, it's not someone you know, though, that kind of a thing? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the first things I would say is that it's only about a football team that runs all the commercial sessions in town. Like, it's a small community of guys and girls that, like, run your commercial auditions. Um, and they're lovely people. In fact, I could name all the ones that are kind of assholes. <laughs> And I won't because you know who they are. <laughs> but, you know, but they wouldn't be employed by casting directors if they didn't get the job done. So, so be it. But just about every session director you walk into a room with is going to be a lovely person. And they're, an, they're probably an actor just like you. Mm -hmm. And you should know their names. You should know who they are because they are going to have the biggest impact on how your audition goes, not the casting director. I mean, the session director is your champion in the room. It's our job to make sure that you do your job. And actually, apart from theatrical castings, because if you go on a theatrical audition, the person running that session, the casting assistant or associate or whatever, they're not really going to work with you that much to try to get you where you need to go. They're kind of going to just be like, thank you, and like leave it at that. You're lucky if they condescend to actually try to help you in that yeah. environment. Then they're really doing you a solid, because they really ought to just kind of be like, hey, that's you're the professional. That's what you chose to do. Let's just leave it right there there. Mm -hmm. um, but in a commercial session, you know, we have casting directors and clients breathing down our necks, wanting to make sure every actor comes in and does a good job. So even if you are not a very skilled performer, the pressure is still on me to get a good performance out of you. So we really are your advocates. We want you to do well. I've never thought about the pressure being the other way around. Oh, completely. Like we will get blamed if the session isn't going well. So why aren't you telling everybody to do it this way? And at a certain point, you got to be like, listen, if I tell this person, if I work with this person such that they're doing a great job, even though they're not capable of getting there themselves, we're actually fraudulently selling them to the clients as capable. And they might get on set and not be able to function, or they might go to the callback and the director who isn't necessarily skilled at working with performers may not know how to say to them what I said to them. And then suddenly they're going to make us look like shit because they can't perform in the callback session. Yeah. Nobody wants to admit that the session director was responsible for the good performance. They'll blame the actor, they'll blame the casting director, whatever. 
So it's it's an awkward position to be in at times, but when you get to know casting directors over a long period of time, you learn to build this relationship of trust, and then they completely trust. If you're like, I had to bail on this person, they just couldn't get there on their own, and I wasn't gonna like push them beyond where they're capable of going on their own. But yeah, we still have an obligation to really want to work with you. So when you come in the room, when uh, commercial sessions, you know we're only gonna keep your best takes, and we're gonna do our best to help you get there um, within reason. Um, and so you're, we're, we're, we're your friends. You should know who we are. You know, when you go to 200 South, you're going to see the, see the same crew. When you go to On Your Mark, you're going to see the same crew or Ocean Park or, mm-hmm. you know, wherever. You're going to see the same people and know who they are and make us feel like a valued part of the process. Because I'll tell you, in all my years of running session, I have only ever received one card from an actor for uh, appreciation for my help booking a job. And I've thrown out birth announcements and Christmas cards from my friends over the years. I still have that one card from an actor because they, you know, acknowledged and made me feel appreciated for the role I played in helping them book that CarMax job, you know? Oh, I love and that. that's how rare it is that those that aren't the casting director get love. And so I actually encourage people all the time to you know, get to know and really appreciate the session directors, the lobby assistants, the casting assistants, even the casting associates. Everybody tries to romance the casting director, but it's a group effort, and those casting directors really rely on the rest of their team to do the job. And so why would you attack the strongest part of a fort? Why don't you go for the weakest part? If you're trying to build a relationship, go for those that really would, it means the world to them for you to show some appreciation. Oh my God, I love that. I'd definitely never send a thank you note to a casting session director. That's do it and see what happens because session directors work all over the city for so many different people. And oftentimes we're running a session, especially these days where people don't show up, you know, like people right now are hurting in such a major fashion that like, that still boggles my mind. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, and, uh, you know, ASG Arlene, she's got this Mm -hmm. thing in her lobby about the, you know, it's like posted on the wall. Yeah, how I know many, right? what you're talking about. Like, this is how many people submitted. Yeah. This is the call. yeah so yeah, if yeah. you got called in, how many people around the planet would be would be so happy to have that opportunity that you have that we take for granted in Los Angeles? You know, yeah. even when I bring when I'm running sessions these days, the first thing I say is congratulations for even getting in this room. Do you know how many people around the world would die to be in Los Angeles in this room doing their art with other amazing artists? Like, don't take that for granted. It's so easy to be like oh, an audition, but like, geez. Talk about like taking it for granted. You oh know? yeah, you have to think about all the times where you didn't that those quiet periods where you're like, oh god, all I want is the audition. Yeah. Or the times you know before you moved to L.A. and all you thought about was being an actor. And it's just not. It's not. I didn't so have the opportunity in Minnesota that. to audition for like all these huge brands every single week and whatever. You know. And back in, you know, the heyday when we were all going out three, four times a week, and now if you're a union member, you're lucky to be going out once or twice a week. Um, And a lot of people are hurting. And these session directors, we work all over town, and oftentimes we are asked by the casting director, hey, do you know anybody who can come in? Because we can't do a whole day and, like, have 20 no-shows and go to the client. Like, we need to have a full session. So if you build a relationship with session directors, oftentimes if they see how great you are in the room, they'll they'll think of you for stuff. I love that. Yeah. How did this change your acting? Being a session director? Yeah. I think part of it is to know how much of a collaboration it all is. 
I think actors have such a isolated experience and it, it's completely unnecessary. I don't know where we developed this mentality because once we get on set or we're part of the cast of something, we become like a little family. But when you're out there in this community or you're in waiting rooms or whatever, it can feel like you're in a little bubble or that you're isolated and you I, don't. Yeah, you know? I talk about this all the time. Yeah, and, and we're like one cast of a big story called Acting in the World. And, you know, we should behave like that. And if you're booked on something, good on you because you're not out there that day competing with me for work. So I can celebrate your performances and your bookings. I don't have to. There was a, a, an event we had at the union where this um, the showrunner of a show called Army Wives came in and she said something that was really powerful. She said, I used to think of success as like in a box, and the more someone took out of that box meant there was less for everyone else. And she's like, I realized there's no bottom to that box. Like there's so much success possible for anybody that you don't have to feel like someone else's success is less for you. Yeah, that's beautiful. I think too, when you realize that everyone's feeling the same thing you are, it just feels like less of a isolated like lonely place you too. Know, there's so I've been listening to a lot of, of this guy named Dr. Jordan Peterson recently, and he's been kind of a controversial figure for other unrelated reasons to mm -hmm. what he talks about in this case. But he's all about kind of like how do you pursue something that's meaningful and justify the suffering that is life. And I know that kind of sounds dour, but really, like who doesn't recognize that life is hard? And especially in LA, we've left most of us have left our loved ones and loved places behind to be here. Why be here? Why be here if not to give it your best and to find a way to make things work? And so, you know, part of, you know, and part of that is if you have a goal that's meaningful, seeing yourself take meaningful steps towards that goal brings that happiness that we don't get happiness from attaining things that actually brings us to a place of confusion, like what next or something, Yeah. you know, but we are really all part of this story. We're all wounded people trying to hold all this stuff together and to have that compassion for one another and to try to support each other. I mean, we really are each other's greatest resource. I firmly, firmly believe that. And working in casting has really taught me how much we need each other, how much it's it's a collaboration. Um, just you know, seeing how actors unnecessarily shoot themselves in the foot, um, how disconnected they feel from um, you know from each other, and and it's and that's one of the reasons I got involved in volunteering for our union is because it's like that is the community that stitches us all together, and it's so in my nature to want to do things as a group, um, and I have a lot of compassion for fellow actors who blame themselves, not the state of the industry or, you know, for everything that's not going well in their careers. And I just want people to, to, I want people to be successful. I want them to know that they're cared for. Um, and casting is a beautiful place to do that because you set, it's like, that's your time to interact with the industry. You know, you know, like however many times you're auditioning, like when you step in that audition room, that's when you get to be an actor for that day or hopefully more than once a day, but you know, hopefully once a week at least. But you know, when you're going to that audition room, you're interacting with the industry. And if your relationship with that industry is super tense or negative or fearful, like that's your relationship with the industry. And it doesn't need to be that way. What if every time you got an audition, it was like, oh, I get to be with my people. You know, like I'm going to be received with such warmth. Like we're going to be able to play in a room for like two or three or five minutes. Like that's the opportunity that casting has really like open my eyes about is I get to make an actor's day when they come in that room. In fact, when people come in the room with me, sometimes I'll even say to them, like, do you want to watch what you just did? And their minds are blown. They're like, I get to see, because you never get to see. Uh -uh, never. You know? Um, yeah, I could talk forever about no, that. No, no, I love this. Um, 
let's talk a little bit about how you got involved in the union then. Because so when I joined the union, I did it because one, it was kind of optional at the point that I was at. And I was just, I was so ready to be a union actor. I was done with, I'd been on some non-union sets that I had been made to feel uncomfortable, that I had been, you know, not utilized or treated well. And I was just ready to have someone in my corner and back me up. So I'd, I'd already had the money ready, put down, saved up, done, did the whole thing. And I still don't know enough about the organization I pay Neither for. Neither do I. <laughs> and I've been involved for four years. But I feel like you, uh, we talked a little bit about your um, talk before the campaign. You sent out such an educational email and we can get into that later. But I, I, for example, like I never went to an orientation. I paid the money because I, the second I joined, I was on a job. And so I started filming this movie. I never got around to going to an orientation. I've taken some foundation classes, but I never took the time to get to know the things that it can do for me. I went to a couple free movies, Mm -hmm. but there's still so much I don't know. So how did, why did you decide to get involved in SAG? Was it, it was just SAG when you got involved? What was it SAG after? Yeah, it was, I, I joined when it was just SAG and I was also, I also joined after separately. So I had already joined both unions separately. And then, you know, obviously after the merger, um, I got involved in 2015. Okay. Um, and it wasn't my choice. I didn't really choose. So what ended up happening was, is from working in casting, I got invited to teach uh, some classes around town by some of those casting director workshop mm-hmm. facilities. They're like, hey, you're a session director, you work with big casting directors, why don't you come in and teach like a commercial class? And that turned into a two-week class, and that turned into a four-week class that I've been teaching for like, I don't know, almost 10 years. And I'm going to pause you for a second, I have mm-hmm. a question. Was that before or after the big casting director scandal from the classes? Oh, that was last year. So this is many, many years, years ago. ago. No, like it was really, well, yeah, it might've been 2017 okay. that the whole drama, but I think it was 2018. Okay. It was over that two year period anyway, where we had, you know, the city attorney look into shutting down a lot of the casting director workshop facilities. But no, I started doing this in what, 2010, Okay. 2009, maybe. Um, and so from teaching that commercial class, I started putting my ideas down on paper because I'm like. I don't want to forget to say something important when I go to one of these because it was all kind of off the top of my head. So I wrote like an outline and I circulated it amongst my casting friends and and they gave me notes. And before I knew it, I had a book on my hands called Commercial Acting in L.A., A Session Director's Guide. And so I self-published that in like 2013. Um, and I just put out the audio book of it, you know, five years later, six years later, <laughs> which is the what I was recording when I recorded the letter that I wrote to all the members this this summer. It's fantastic because yeah. this is your base of people who listen to audio books right here. <laughs> right. <laughs> we'll put a link. And so, uh, yeah, and and so, um, so from writing that book, I got invited by Backstage to become one of their expert contributing writers. So I've written something like 50 plus articles for Backstage over the years. And one of them was called Stand Up For Your Union. And it was about how I had auditioned to be uh, part of this NFL Network campaign. Um, and a couple days after I auditioned, I got a text from the casting director being like, hey, they turned it, they turned it into a non-union project, but they're willing to pay you more. Will you still do it? And I said, ooh, let me talk to my agents. I'll get back to you. And I was friends with this casting director, so that's why she could text me like that. And I called my agents, and I said, I'm a union performer. I don't do non-union, so tell them I'm walking away unless they turn it back to a union project. 
Uh, and they said, you got it. And four hours later, I got the call that they had turned it back to Union Project just so they could hire me. And we did, you know, eight spots that ran for six months on so many huge networks. Oh, and that's incredible. Yeah, it was, it was, um, it was a hugely visible spot. And I got to work with a lot of Hall of Fame, you know, football players that I grew up admiring on TV, like Kurt Warner and Ladanian Tomlinson, people like what? that, Michael Irvin. Um, and so... Uh, from from doing that, I wrote an article because see my my union health insurance saved my career because I had a I needed a particular medical procedure that I could never have afforded um, until I got health insurance and the first time I ever had health insurance was because of my union mm. and so I wasn't involved as a volunteer I didn't even know you could go do stuff at SAG AFTRA all I knew was that if I didn't have that health insurance I wouldn't be an actor today. So I wrote an article saying, stand up for your union. Like, you know, like all we have is each other to fight back against the market forces that are trying to reduce the value of our art because they have a profit mandate. And so either you can be alone trying to negotiate for your own worth, or you can join a community of the best artists and fight for it together. And so writing that article got somehow on the desk of David White, who's our national executive director mm -hmm. of our union. For those of, who, of you who don't know, like our union leadership is made up of two parts, the members like you and me who get elected and it's all volunteer. Nobody gets paid a penny. Um, but any, but you know, you can lead the union as members, but then we hire staff and we have something like 600 staff mm -hmm. and the top staff person is our national executive director. That's a guy named David White. And so David actually called me and he said, hey, we read your article. We'd like you to come to these meetings where we're trying to organize to fight back against all this commercial work going on union. From doing that, so I went to this meeting at the union and from like, because they wanted me to introduce them to some of my commercial casting director friends um, to do like a town hall and pick their brain mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Well, when I was at one of those meetings, there was a guy there named Kevin McCorkle. And Kevin McCorkle was the co-chair of the Los Angeles Conservatory of SAG-AFTRA. And he said, hey, I know you from running sessions. Would you like to teach a commercial class at the conservatory once a month? And I was like, yeah, sure, why not? You know. And so I started doing that in the fall of 2015. And this is all volunteer. All volunteer. Um, and from doing that once a month, I was added to the, the, the conservatory committee in the spring of 2016. I think Kevin was just really happy with what I'd been doing. And he's like, why don't you join the committee that actually oversees the conservatory? And... Very quickly, I started asking questions like, hmm, why does it work that way? Or why aren't we doing this? Or this seems out of date. Or why do we? And I started starting solving problems. And by the fall, I had been put in charge of the commercial department. And by the next spring into 2017, I got approached to run for um, the boards by the two existing political parties that exist in our union in Los Angeles. <clears throat> and so I was like, political parties like we have political parties in a union doesn't that like make no sense your email was the first time i had ever heard that there were two rival political parties in sag yeah it doesn't make any sense and even to this day it doesn't make any sense I was like, even though I'm i understand so it oversaturated politics already <laughs> right like as if, we, as if we needed more please no more two parties so i actually system. spent like a solid three four months just being like huh parties what talking to so many different people being like did you know about this why 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 and I've started to gain an understanding, um, but I was, you know, I won't go into the full details yet because that's a big conversation. But mm -hmm. ultimately, I ended up um, running for election on one of those political parties, what you call slates, meaning like they have such an advantage the way things are set up that if you don't run on their 
quote unquote slate, which means you're on their pamphlets that they mail to everybody mm -hmm. or in their emails that they send to everybody, like no independent candidates get elected. Like if you just even look at the last two elections, nobody who's independent gets elected. So if you want a chance to serve, you kind of have to join team red or team blue. And, um, and so, but I don't identify as either. So I'm like, okay, I'm only doing this for election purposes. And just about when the election was over, like two days before the election was over in 2017, I sent my first letter to the members, which was, I spent three grand out of my pocket. And I was like, hey guys, this is what I encountered just running for the board. And we have these two parties and it's causing problems and we need to come together to find a way to solve this problem. What was your thought process in sending that? Because one, it's a shit ton of money to mm -hmm. spend to inform people, which is cool. It seems like you have a common theme here of taking care of other people in yeah. this business. Mm -hmm. But also to decide to put yourself out there like that before the election to to inform people. What was your thought process for taking that big leap? I think it was mainly that people need to know. Like, I understand more why I did it now than I did even when I did it. Because I've been able to learn much more about how important the union is for our community um, over the last two years of being involved in leadership. So for, for anybody who's actually like listened to or read the letter that I sent this year, which was it'll pretty be, intense. I'll, it'll be attached on the website. Yeah, it, which is pretty intense. Like, you know, I've learned so much, but I didn't know any of that two years ago. All I knew two years ago is that, Houston, we have a problem. Like, we need to solve this issue of being divided amongst ourselves. And the way it's set up is not good for anybody. And so, like, my inspiration at the time was like, I want people in our community to know about this so they can help us solve this issue because I can't do it as one person. No one person can or should solve a problem like that. And I just didn't think people knew. And this organization is the only advocacy organization that can fight for our value in the marketplace. And the marketplace for years has been telling us, you're not worth it, you're not worth it, and we're not going to pay you that, and you're not getting your quotes, and we're not going to give you this, we're not going to cover that. And the only people that are thriving are the 1% or 2% of our members that are stars and names that are not even working for scale, so they don't need the union anyway. The union really yeah. is the 95% of us that are aspiring and trying to survive. And it's and it's, you've really been here working in this town as the, the, the downgrade has happened. I feel like kind of the year when you got here was kind of when commercials were starting to go well, more and more. Well, if you ask some people, they'll say it started with the commercial strike in 2000. Mm -hmm. because and, and from what I understand, and there will be people who will say that I'm wrong about this, but I wasn't a member then and I wasn't around then, so I've only been able to piece this together from my own research and relationships. Some people will say that that commercial strike taught the industry how to work with non-union talent and how to work without us. So because that went on as long as it did, they had to advertise anyway, on? something like eight months, I okay. believe. So oh. they, since, it, since they still needed to advertise, they learned how to work with non-union talent and they started to discover, hey, you know, we can get a lot of non-union, we can get a lot of stuff done with non-union talent. Um, but other people will say that that contract negotiation and that protracted strike was essential and we got a lot of powerful things out of that that protected us. Um, so I can't comment whether it was good or bad. Yeah. I just know that there are very strong feelings about it. But one thing that we have seen is that from the 90s and early 2000s, all commercials were pretty much union. And we've seen over the last 20 years that it's gone down to maybe one in 10 is now union. And it's a huge problem because commercial work was how most of us sustained ourselves in yeah. between our theatrical bookings. But even then, you've been, you were able, it's not all commercial because even then, you could book a top of show guest and get paid for the week and get decent residuals. And now even you know, they've 
they're essentially killing the top of show guest where they just want to pay you scale and they only want to pay you the days that you're on set. And so no one's going to be able to get a weekly contract. It's going to be, you know, just like you're just getting paid your thousand bucks a day and that's it. Especially if they can book you in like Atlanta. Well, they'll run a guest star as a co-star sometimes. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, there's, there's so much around this issue that we could talk about, but suffice it to say that, you know, I wanted people to know in 2017 that there are problems in the way our union is being led and that this See, a lot of us feel like we have to join the union. Yeah. Right? Like when I came out here, I didn't join because I wanted to as much as you have to if you want to work in professional film and television. I thought it meant you were a serious actor. There you go. That's exactly right. It's like I didn't come here to do non-union stuff. I came here to work in professional network Mm -hmm. TV and studio features. So if I'm going to do that, I got to be part of the union. I did not think of it like an organized labor union. I didn't think of it like a family that was that where we have bonded together and we've got each other's backs and that we are actually holding a line against the profit mandate of corporations like I just thought it was like a Costco card that costs three thousand bucks and two hundred dollars a year, <laughs> yes. you know. And I have the opportunity to audition a couple, you know, for for better stuff. Mm-hmm. And I and agents would take me more seriously, and managers would want to talk to me, and you know, whatever. And I've learned that that is sure true, but it's not the core reason why you have a union. And the union is you and me and the 160,000 other people that are part of this community. We are the artists that have decided to band together to solve these problems. That's the thing. We've got problems, and we have to be the ones to solve them, not the union, because we're the union. We have staff, but when's the last time most of us showed up to tell them what to do? So our union gets directed, our union staff gets directed by those that show up, and things are bad right now. More of us need to show up and tell them what to do. And I got to tell you, it's tough to get there to show up to tell them that we're not doing well because I'm working five jobs, so I can't go to the meetings and tell, like, it's, you know, that's a hard balance to find. Like, I've, I haven't been to a board meeting uh, ever. Mm-hmm. I've been to well, very, like, small meetings and stuff, but it's hard. I, I haven't had a union aud- commercial audition in uh, six weeks. Yeah. Like, it's wild. Yeah. So, so what, not that how can you fix this, but how can we, like, as you got involved in the union, what did you see as holes that you could plug, problems that you could help solve? Well, I don't, I don't want to frame this conversation around the union about, around problems. Yeah. Because I, I, my life is completely transformed from my volunteerism for the union. So it has been a positive part of my life. Sure. I, just like many of you, are eating a lot of shit right now because we're not going out for as many auditions as we want to be going out. And there's a lot of reasons for that, both theatrically and voiceover and commercial. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's rough. And we have to solve these problems. But, you know, we have this organization that ties us all together. And we just, it's like we have a Soho house that we haven't been using. That's what I found out. I'm like, wow, we have all, we have this clubhouse, we have all these rooms, we have all these resources, all these organizations, and they're all there. Some people don't know that they can take classes for free and stuff like that. Oh my God. But I mean, yeah, I mean, but not even like what exists. We get to determine what exists. Like we're SAG-AFTRA. So if we want SAG-AFTRA to do something, we get to make it happen. So two perfect examples in the last couple of years. Like, we renovated the conservatory studio at AFI. Mm-hmm. One of the first things we did in 2016 when I joined the conservatory committee, spent like 20 grand and made the state of the art like taping studio. 
And so like, we're like, okay, when it's not being used for classes, why don't we make it available for people to self-tape? Because that's expensive and it adds mm -hmm. up and, and why not use this resource? It belongs to us. So we created a self-taping program headed up by uh, a volunteer. His name is Asim Tawari and trained people to run these sessions so that you could go have a free self-tape done by a union member who's a working actor who knows how to do all the technical stuff and you get an hour and they would work with you and this or that. We helped something like 300 members over the last couple of years like do great auditions. People book jobs out of it. And, and so like, that was just like a no-brainer and it was not an official thing offered by the union. It was union members taking care of each other with our resources. Like staff weren't involved. They we just they just gave us permission to use the space and we had to make sure like liability was covered and whatever. Then we started doing another thing. Like when I joined the conservatory committee, one of the first questions I asked is why aren't we working more with the PGA, DGA, WGA, Teamsters, IATSE? Like mm -hmm. these are our brothers and sisters on every show. Why aren't we doing more with them? And so we were like, well, what's an easy way to work with the Writers Guild? Uh, table reads. All of these writers have amazing pieces just sitting on their shelves or in their hard drives. And maybe they gave up on promoting them because they didn't go anywhere. We're like, well, why don't you send us your stuff? And then we'll get amazing actors together and we'll bring your story to life for an afternoon. And we've done 65 in two years. We've had over 650 writers and actors participate. And it's led to employment and it's led to you know, like life-changing relationships and writing partnerships and whatever. Um, and just a feeling of solidarity between myself and the participants and the Writers Guild and their guests and things like that. It's like the joy of my life. It was like a side thing and it's become like a central thing I do every weekend. I um, love that. And, and now for the longest time, like my profile pic on like Instagram and Facebook has been I stand with the Writers Guild because like their fight with the ATA is our fight. This is our fight. In fact, we, we, we were very... Uh, a key part of why we have that problem. Um, and I can share a little bit about that if you're interested, mm -hmm. but, but the writer's guild fight is our fight. Um, and they're so great for pulling it together and they are bonding. Like they have come together to support each they other. Feel, get employed. They feel like a very connected union. Yeah. And, and because of adversity, they're not feeling that way because everything's great. They right. came together because things are rough and they're like, we got each other's backs and that's what we need to do. <laughs> that's yeah. what we need to do. Well, it's like after 9-11, everyone was putting an American flag in their mm -hmm. car for the first time ever. Like, yeah. I remember as a kid being like, uh, I'm so proud to be an American. Right. It's the first time. So this is the same. Yeah. And, and what's happening, and I, it's not that I don't understand it. I absolutely understand it. But when things are tough, people are bailing. And that's not my that's not my style. Like we have You're a talking about like a FICOR. Oh, thing? I'm I mean not even FICOR because a very small percentage of our members actually have resigned. Like FICOR, you're leaving the union. Like screw this, I'm no longer a member. Um, but I'm still going to pay like fees, so I have the right to work on a union set if I can get that audition and get that booking. But most casting directors reserve union jobs for union actors. So people who end up resigning find it's not all that they thought it was going to be. Uh, I know actors ask that question And a lot. I can, I'm, I'm one of the few people that understands FICOR probably better than, you know, maybe, there, maybe there's a hundred people in the country that understand FICOR and SAG after like I do. Um, I wrote a whole article on it that was on Casting Frontiers blog. Oh, uh, great. If anybody's interested yeah, in Yeah, I'll have you send it, that to me, please. completely clears up what it is. But the point is, no, it's not even people who resign. It's people who lie 
about resigning. We call them LICOR. So these are people who don't either know that they have to resign to be FICOR or just list it on their online casting profiles that they are like SAGCOR, Financial Corps, but they never actually resign because the online casting services don't verify whether you did or not. So then they just lie about it so that they'll get sent out for non-union auditions and do what's called working off the card where you actually work a non-union job even though that's against the rules of being a union member, right? You're selling yourself for cheap on the side. Like, why would you do that? I guess because no one's going to no non-union person job is going to verify that you're not in the union. Totally. It's yeah. It's never going to happen. Yeah. And the union doesn't know about what's non-union because if you don't register it with the union, how do it's they know it's even radar. happening? Right. right. And then, so, so you've got three problems. You've got people that are resigning. You've got people that lie about having resigned. And then you have people that don't even care that just work non-union brazenly because they know they're not going to get caught. And even if they do, there's no punishment. So we've got a huge solidarity problem in our union right now. And that's just not my style because let's just say SAG after folded tomorrow. Who's going to fight for our value. Who's going to maintain standards? Now, as as screwed up as our union is right now, and if you've read my letter, you know I have major mm-hmm. feelings about how screwed up our union is, but I'm also one of the most passionate and devoted unionists. I wouldn't be that way if it was all like doom and gloom. Right. Like, it's actually a beautiful thing that we have this organization that knits us all together, that we can do amazing things, primarily creating art together and connecting with other amazing artists that are writers, directors, producers, etc., casting directors. But as far as how it's being governed and how it's operating, we're all being let down by it but I'm not going to bail I'm going to keep fighting and and that's just in my style to like I'm not going to bail I want to see things improve and the more of us that do that then the more power that we have and we have to get back to where we were almost in 1933 where it's like we need to draw a line in the sand and we need to come together and we need to solve these problems and it's not going to be an overnight fix Mm -hmm. but in the meanwhile we can create cool projects that we have going right now where we're creating like our own casting director and agent showcases so you don't have to go pay to do a casting director showcase or an agency showcase yeah we're doing our first monologue class later this month preparing people to go do their best work in um, showcases and here's another cool thing I love this. So the Writers Guild um, that we've been t- you know, talking with the Writers Guild members that we've helped with these table reads, they're like, if you ever need anything, just ask. Because we're doing such, I mean, we go crazy with these table reads. So not I've, only do I've we cast some, them. I've seen some, some of the photos. Some, some photos yeah, and stuff. We go to the hand prop room and get like major props and we deck out the room. We have tablecloths and food that's usually inspired by the script. And it's we like have, themed. Oh my God. It's like walking into Planet Hollywood of like your oh God, own, <laughs> you know, your own story. And they have no idea. So they walk in, we've got everything beautifully created. We've got movie credits credits on the screen. We've got everybody's script and binders pre-highlighted. We have custom art that we created for everything, name placards. Like we bring in amazing performers, usually cast by a CSA casting director. So it's somebody who already cast like amazing shows or films is like casting your thing. Like it just blows their minds and they're like short circuiting. And at the end, they're kind of like, what can I do to try to help you? (laughs) And so, so we're going to them. We're like, okay, would you be willing to write custom monologues for our, for our members who are going to do showcases? Because one of the hardest things for an actor is to find a a monologue that is from network TV or studio features that really markets you the way you want to be marketed. And so many people like, oh, has this been overdone or it's going to be compared to blah, blah, blah or whatever. Well, what if somebody who's staffed on an amazing show meets you and like gets a sense of who you are, writes you a custom one minute or two minute monologue and that's what you use. I mean, it builds a relationship between you and that Writers Guild member, but it's also something that's professional that you can do out there in the showcase or... Yeah, you know, it's everyone using their best set of skills. Yeah, and that's what's possible when we work together. And guess what? Writers want to meet actors because they're in their like rooms writing alone most of the time. <laughs> and then they're like, wow, it's really cool. And you think and about this. actors think they're alone most of the time. Writers are this. so alone. And <laughs> even when they're at an audition on an episode that they wrote, 
they're not really allowed to interact with the performers. And then even when they're on set, like watching their episode being filmed, they're not allowed to interact with the actors. They kind of have to go through like the director or something. So they're always kind of walled off from us and they don't want to be. They want to talk to us. They want us to read their words and help them be better writers and collaborate with us and all that. So, you know, that's these types of projects you know, helping each other, you know, self-tape, helping each other meet other um, writers and directors and producers, creating our own content, helping us get great rep, um, helping to reduce the costs of being a, you know, a performer. Like, we can do these types of things while we're fixing the governance issues of our union and the contract issues with our union. So there's no reason to be doom and gloom. We just have to, like, be honest with ourselves. We have to learn about this thing that we're all a part of, that we're spending hundreds, if not thousands of dollars on every year. I mean, mm-hmm. my dues are not cheap. Yeah. Um, and so... Uh, we have this thing that exists to help us. And I never knew. Nobody ever told me. When I joined SAG back in 2007, I didn't go to a member orientation. They're not mandatory. And even when you go, they don't tell you a lot of the stuff of how your union actually works. And so, and I'm actually actively working right now to try to improve the way our member orientations function. Because um, you really need to leave those orientations being a unionist. Like, fuck yeah. Like, this, I need it. Like, okay, mm-hmm. let me back up for a second. I know it's easy to get me on a roll here. No, I love this. There are three components to us being professional performers, and most of us never learn about the third. If we're lucky, we learn about the second from our acting studio, Mm -hmm. but we're probably not going to learn about that in our college drama program. So the first area is our craft. We all know we have to know how to do the thing, Mm -hmm. and it can be a lifelong process just to get really masterful over the craft in every genre and every storytelling medium, et cetera. But then there's the business side. Right, We have to get our team together and our headshots and resumes and online casting profiles and our reels and blah, blah, blah. Like We have to network with other you know, working professionals that are writers, directors, casting directors, producers, etc. We get there's a business side. No one talks about the market. No one talks about the state of the industry. Because if you have your acting together and your business stuff together, but you can't make a living as a performer, what was all of it for? And there's only one organization currently that fights for our value as on-camera performers in that SAG-AFTRA. And if you ignore it, it's like ignoring getting good at acting or ignoring having your headshots and your business stuff together. It is that fundamental to our success because when you actually book that network TV job and you don't make enough money to even qualify for Plan 2 health insurance. So I'm, an, I'm a series regular on a, on a TV show right now. Okay. And my entire first season, eight episodes, because of how our contracts work... I made less money than qualifying for Plan 2 health insurance, and that's only 17000 bucks. Yeah. If you earn seventeen grand in a year, you qualify for Plan 2, and I didn't even make that off of being a series regular on a streaming show that had a $15 million first season budget. That's how bad our contracts are. Now, it's Ugh. not that show's problem, because they paid me exactly what the union said I deserved, yeah. but my union said I was worth not even seventeen grand a year or season for a, 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 a TV series. You know, and that's a problem, yeah. right? So, you know, but while we're solving these problems, we can do a lot of good for each other along the way. So what would you say to actors who are listening? Um, we have a bunch of people who listen who have just joined SAG. It's a lot of kind of newer to LA people often. Mm-hmm. So people who have just joined recently, how can they start to get involved in these programs when they have, you know, X, Y, and Z jobs and are trying to balance their day-to-day life and occasionally have an audition? Mm-hmm. Um, where can they start? So there are three ways that I've identified that you can get involved in being part of the solution. Mm-hmm. 
Now, for those that are so slammed because of work or because of life and family and all these other things, totally get it. Podcast. Ha- right. <laughs> but like, listen, I am so happy to be on the front lines fighting for those that don't have the time. I'm blessed to have the time to invest in this stuff. Um, and I totally get that. But at the very least, to be engaged. And all that means is to learn about it and to vote and to ask questions um, and to have discussions with your fellow performers. And whenever possible, at least try to show up to the W&Ws. Okay. And the W&Ws are when, before we go into a contract negotiation, that's when they're open meetings for any member to come in and say, here's what I'm experiencing in the field, and here's some ideas I have on how we can make things better. And those ideas get passed along to the negotiating team that's going to go fight for our new contract. That is one of the main ways, if you have no time, mm-hmm. that's one of the ways you can get involved. But at least, like, you know, like, God bless anybody who's listening to this podcast and of you, because, like, consuming information and learning about this stuff is such, like, the first way to go, right? But, like, really ask questions about your union. Learn about what it is. Like, read articles about it. Come to whatever you can possibly fit in. Ask questions. Anybody can email me, and I'll, I'll take the time to answer whatever. That's amazing. But, like... You know, this is ours and it's yours. So, so take an interest in it and be engaged. That's number one. If you have any opportunity to actually volunteer, you can volunteer an hour a month or you can volunteer, you know, an hour a day or whatever your threshold is. I'm insane. So my threshold is through the roof, right? <laughs> I don't have a, the, a limit right now. Um, but I have the luxury to do that. So if you can volunteer, there's three ways you can volunteer. One way is to volunteer for the Los Angeles local. So that's literally emailing our local, which is la at sagafter.org. It's that mm-hmm. simple, just la for Los Angeles, la at sagafter.org. Ilion is our executive director. So she's the top staff person for the LA local, which is okay. you know, one of the 25 branches or regions of our union. David White is our national executive director. So he oversees all of the national government of our staff, but Ilion is our local leader. Okay. So when you email elliotsagafter.org, it goes to her. And she will let you know about opportunities to volunteer for our health fair, the summer intensive board meetings. It's pretty much drone stuff where you're just standing somewhere handing out information or being like a, a worker bee. Mm-hmm. It's not the most fulfilling stuff, but it's necessary. And I do that stuff. But if it was all I did, I would find it mind-numbing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but still, it's important. That's one way you can get involved. The second official way that you can get involved is in a leadership position. That's being on a committee, a subcommittee, a work group, being part of the board, either the local board or the national board, or running for an officer position. Not everybody's cut out for being an officer. Mm -hmm. Not everybody's cut out for being a board member. But being involved as a delegate or being involved as a committee member or a subcommittee member or working on a work group, those are all awesome things that you can do. And the Table Reads is an example of a work group. This film festival and expo that we're creating is another example. Like, why don't we have our own film festival and, like, expo? Oh, my God, yes. Like, Duh. Um, so so many things like this, right? The, the foundation used to have a program called Book Pals where we had like 100 volunteers that would go read to children to, as part of children's yeah, literacy. Yeah, I applied for it the year that it got they taken canceled down. It. Yeah. yeah, and they canceled it because they found that the money was not being spent well and that some shady stuff was going on where Ugh. people were showing up to parks with strangers with kids and it just wasn't safe. It wasn't a good thing. But what ended up happening was... Um, you know, we started picking up the ball and we've done this pilot program where we're going into 
the Los Angeles Unified School District to middle schools, high schools, and colleges, and now teaching people about the union, about being a professional performer. We need people for that stuff, oh God, right? Amazing. So anybody who wants to teach children about being a performer, come on down. Like I'm doing this awesome program for the second time in this next week called the Young Storytellers, which is like going into elementary schools and acting out their Are scripts you doing and stuff. That? Yeah, I'm doing it too. Are you? Yeah, 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 yeah. so great, awesome, right? I so love, so many of us program. want to be helping with that, mm-hmm. but we also have projects like creating a member service directory where if you have side hustles why don't why don't you hire another union member for oh that? my god i have i've i love this so much i started this a while ago but i didn't finish the my own directory of people this is great yeah, yeah. so if you need somebody to like walk your dogs or to house sit or to do tech support or whatever why don't you hire another union member who like is good at that does stuff does this exist somewhere we're creating it okay great but the thing is like so there's like 20 of these but the idea is like these are ideas that members have come up with that are like we want this so why don't we make it happen is there a place that we can find most of this information yeah me okay <laughs> right <laughs> And we're building, so through the Los Angeles Conservatory, we're building a unofficial website. It has to be unofficial, otherwise the union communications department is in charge of it, yeah, and there's yeah. all these rules and blah, blah, blah. So, but we created our own, and so we'll have everything on there for everybody. Cool. And actually, we have a meeting coming up. I don't know if this episode will air before then, but um, on November 19th, we have a volunteer information meeting at at the uh, headquarters for people to want to learn about the current work groups that we have. But cool. what I like to tell people is like, Come up with ideas. Whatever your idea is, let's find a way to make it happen. If it's a good idea, let's get behind it and make it happen. It's not about like, oh, what already exists. We also want to hive mind things that other people can come up with. But just know that there's a lot of activity going on and you can jump in onto any one of those things. But there's a third way you can get involved. So even if you don't want to be a drone at a LA local thing or it doesn't appeal to you to be in a work group or a committee or blah, 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 there are these grassroots groups, like there's one called Union Working, there's another one called Solidarity, and these are groups of members that are meeting in an unofficial way outside of the union to accomplish amazing things. I'll give Union Working as an example. So this is a group of some of the top commercial performers that came together three years ago because they're like, okay, the commercial contract has problems, we're seeing a lot of problems in the commercial area, we know our union needs help, like what can we do to support our union? So we started having breakfast every Friday morning, and then we started having these big meetings every six weeks where we bring like 50 to 100 people together. And there's things we can do as individual members that our union can't do. Like our union can't just meet with producers and directors and all that stuff. They have to go through all these hoops. The paperwork, But you as I as individuals, we can sit down with a friend of ours who's a producer of commercials and be like, what's the problem, right? Yeah. So we started bringing in agents, directors, casting directors, producers, whatever, and we started hive-minding solutions, and a lot of that energy went into the commercial W&Ws, which was last year, which led to the negotiating team having a ton of people that were part of union working part of it that went to New York and fought for this new commercial contract that is now making inroads and bringing commercial work back. Mm -hmm. Now, it's not going to come back overnight. It took 20 years to get to this point. It might take 20 years to get back to where it was before. I hope not. But, you know, it is making a positive difference. It was innovative. It came up with, you know, a lot of things that our partners were asking for, our advertising partners were asking. But a lot of those ideas came out of grassroots work that we did over three years meeting in a church in North Hollywood, you know. So union working is now shifting its attention to other issues that we're facing. But um, that's something that's happening not in official capacity but was so meaningful, Right. So those are the three ways you can get involved. You can in a grassroots level, being part of like a work group or committee or just like helping out at an event. And you're going to make friends and meet people and, you know, feel like you're part of something no matter which way you get involved. Yeah. And that's I feel like that's everyone's dream at the end of the day is to just everyone says, I just want to 
do something. I just want to be an actor. And it's like, well, you get to be an actor with other actors. Well, you know, and whenever we're casting something, when I'm casting one of these table reads or one of these like films or things that we're creating, the first people we look at are those that are already being of value, but because they're part of one of these volunteer groups or they're mm-hmm. whatever, like, of course we're going to take care of those that show up and take care of us. Yeah, you want someone who's going to actually show up. Yeah. That's and it. it's how you find new leaders, right? Like the way right. we're going to find the leaders of tomorrow that are going to carry us out of the morass that we're in today is going to be from seeing who rises to the top by taking on responsibility. Oh my God, so much information. I'm going to uh, email you with this and ask you for these specific things <laughs> yeah, so we sure. can like put it all in one article <laughs> for people. Um, what would you say to someone who is non-union right now and considering or trying to work a little bit? So my, my perspective is... Um, is probably different than others. People often ask me, when's the right time to join the union? And my answer to that is as soon as possible. And not because I'm like a rah-rah unionist. That's not the reason. You, when you're out there working as a non-union performer, it's a different pool of casting directors, of um, you know projects and all that, and the pay and the working conditions, and even how you audition... What I tell people is if you're going to spend all this time, effort, and energy trying to distinguish yourself and book work, why not do that in the pool of the best work, not the, the worst work? And not like all non-union stuff is bad, but I'm saying that the high-budget, well-paying, very professional sets are by and large union sets. Well, it's like why would you continue to try and be a professional actor in St. Paul if your goal was to be a professional actor? Yeah, I didn't come here to do non-union. Now, there's mm-hmm. value in like learning how sets work and all that stuff. I I get all that. But if you have the opportunity to join, all of the resources and community that are at your disposal can completely transform your career in a way that a non-union performer just can't or has to pay so much money out of their own pocket for. So like I tell people, if you actually leverage the value of your union membership, God, join as quickly as possible. And if it's a financial thing, you're going to earn that back in two or three years. And, and just off the discounts alone. Now, one thing most of our members don't know is that we, all, we get something around 1,000 discounts on all the types of stuff we already buy. People don't know about them. Now, there's four categories. There's the, the discounts you get for being a member of the Los Angeles local of SAG-AFTRA. Mm-hmm. Then there's the discounts you get being a SAG-AFTRA member, period, across the country. Then there's two others that we get from being part of the AFL-CIO, which is the American Federation of Labor Unions. Like, it's the, the 13 million union members. I think it's 13 million union members nationwide that wow. belong to everything, auto workers, blah, blah, blah. So we're part of a Benedy and Union Plus, which means, like, when I went to Six Flags, I got a ton of money off of my tickets and got, like, a discounted flash pass or whatever. When I bought my, my new TV, I got 300 bucks off of that. AT&T, I get 15% off all of that. Like, huh. movie tickets. I mean, there's so many things. If you just did an analysis of the stuff you already spend your money on and used all your union discounts, my guess is between one or 2,000 bucks a year you'd be saving. And that is... 10 times, five to 10 times your base dues for the year. So even if you don't book a single job, you saved a thousand to 2000 bucks every year for being a member of the union. And if your initiation is three grand, well, great. In two or three years, you've got your money back, right? And it's just nice to get discounts off of stuff because living in LA is freaking expensive, Mm -hmm. right? So even that alone is worthwhile. But then there's the credit union, so you can get cheaper loans and credit cards and save on fees and things like that. Then there's like things like the Actors Fund that will give you a new pair of shoes every year if you need it or something. There's there's things, yeah, and like financial classes and the foundation has like casting director workshops and agent workshops and screenings and a voiceover lab. Then you've got the conservatory, which has 40 classes. You've got member education that 
that is going on, like large-scale lectures all the time. Plus, you would now are a brother or a sister of the Writers Guild, the, the Directors Guild, um, like Teamsters, IATSE. This is a union town. When you find out you have that in common with somebody, you're like, fuck yeah. Like, you're a brother or a sister in the fight. Um, plus, you've got people like me that are on your on your side that will do whatever we can to help you thrive, right? So I, I tell people, if you actually make use of your union, if you show up to your Soho house and get involved and, like, use it, my God, you should join as quickly as possible. But if you don't, even then it's valuable, but there's, there, you're going to be giving up eight to nine out of every 10 commercial opportunities right now. You're going to be giving up the opportunity to do as much voiceover because a lot of that stuff has been been happening non-union through like voices.com and things mm-hmm. like that, right? Um, and th- there are problems, but you're part of a community that exists to solve those problems together. So I would rather be part of that army mm-hmm. than be waiting on the sidelines and let my fate be left to strangers. Oh God, that's a really good convincing argument. Wow. Okay. Um, I actually don't, I don't even know if we have time for anything else because this has been so amazing. Um, okay. Last question because we've covered so much. So if you feel like you've already touched this, touched on this, like that's okay. Yeah. But if there was something you think that actors should know across the board that maybe who are just coming to LA, what do they need to know? You are not alone. It is so scary to come here and to sacrifice so much and be away from your loved ones and loved places and loved foods. You know, like I left so many people I care about back in Minnesota to be out here. And we're all in that boat. Like very few of us are actually from Los Angeles. You are so not alone. We all think like everybody's more talented. Everybody's more successful. Everybody has got more followers. Everybody, like it's so easy to compare yourself to everybody on the planet now, right? Like when you're in your hometown, like... You, you could be the best actor in your high school or the best actor in your city. The best pizza delivery guy. Yeah, yeah exactly, right? <laughs> now I have to compare myself to the pizza delivery record of every person on the planet. You know, and I'm seeing on Instagram, like, like this person was able to, whatever, I'm going to leave yeah, that I'm example. Gonna... <laughs> but the point is, you are not alone. We all have the same needs. We all have the same worries and concerns and fears. Um, we are in this as one cast of a big family of performers and yeah, sure, the union ties us all together, but even if you're not a union member yet, um, you're still part of this community, and you're valuable, and each of you has such a unique voice and has a place in storytelling. It We just need people to learn where you fit in into their stories, and you do that from, like, honing your craft and making sure your marketing reflects who you are, like, your essence, like, what, why people love you and hang out with you. Like, that's what we want to see. That's who we're going to start casting you in, in projects in that type of a capacity. Yeah, you can challenge the convention when you're successful, but right now, play what's you know, close to the vest, um, with like the low-hanging fruit. But like, we want to know each other. We want to use each other in stories appropriately. Like, Please, please, please do not feel alone. Reach out to other people. Get involved in anything you can that puts you around like union performers that are, like, have put everything on the line for you know, having the career of our dreams, of wanting to work in professional film and television, commercial projects and all that. So there's so much that I could could share, um, but that would be my one thing is that, like, if you can't fail if you don't quit. Mm. Sean, this has been dreamy. <laughs> I really enjoyed this conversation very much. I'm so glad. We uh, didn't get a chance to talk about, like, the union letter and stuff, but hopefully people will avail themselves of what I wrote. It's very easy to find. It's going to um, be attached to all this Okay, as well. cool, yeah. And we'll do a little bit more but about it, yeah, that. Great, but yeah. Yeah, it, there's... I, 
I'm going to have to have you back on because <laughs> there's so much more just, I could talk to you. Yeah. <laughs> I want to talk more about the young story or the, the, the storytellers and I just have so many questions, but yeah. we'll get there eventually. Yeah. Sounds good. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. God, this has been so fun and this is such a lovely environment to I be able this. to just talk about the industry. So I could do this forever. That's <laughs> why I do it. Uh, so I'm going to attach as much of this, of your stuff as I can. If mm. people want to follow what you do on social media, is there some place you want to direct everyone I'm to? really easy to find. Just Sean Sharm on everything. Cool. Yeah. Done. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. And that brings us to the end of today's podcast. Sean, I am so excited to have you as a colleague in my union and in this crazy business. Thank you so much for your time on this podcast. Guys, if you're interested in any of the things that Sean references here, there is a shit ton of show notes for this episode at onebrokeactress.com for all the links that we discussed further if you want to do any more reading or uh, get involved in Sean's projects. Thank you guys so much for listening to this podcast. It is hosted and created by myself, Sam Valentine, with production help by Laurel Canyon Creative. Guys, did you see that our producer is having a baby? That's right. Cecilia Tripp, Laurel Canyon Creative, having a baby. Aw, tell her congrats. Go to Laurel Canyon Creative's uh, Instagram and tell her congratulations because super awesome, exciting. Okay, back to the outro. Our theme song is by the beautiful Maggie Zabo. Our sponsor today is We Audition, weaudition.com. Use code BROKE25 and do it soon for your $7.50 membership. All right, y'all, that's all I got for you today. I will talk to you next.